And welcome to Unnecessary <laughs> Angst. That was our worst one ever. <laughs> it was. I had fun with it though. It was amusing to me and that's what counts. Yeah, your personal enjoyment is the whole reason we do this podcast. It's correct. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, our, our own personal enjoyment really is the whole reason we do this to keep ourselves entertained um how are you doing today julia (laughs) super long time no chat i know (laughs) i'm doing well i finished a big assignment so (laughs) i wish i could feel more accomplished but i still have so many more things to do this week that i'm like i just feel like (laughs) okay great next let's go (laughs) just keep chugging Um, along (laughs) Yeah, just watched Charade tonight with my parents, with Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant, so that was fun. Nice. That seems like a very you and your parents kind of movie. Yes, it is. Um, Yeah, how are you? Well, let me tell you what I'm drinking, I guess. I am drinking a Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, (laughs) yes. I know. You've actually had this. It's my dad's favorite white wine. I do Um, like that wine. It's a good wine. It is a good wine. It's a trusty wine. Yeah, always it's always a safe good. option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how, how are you doing? What are you drinking? I'm good. I'm um, doing a repeat of something I've drinking on the podcast previously, the Pog Hard Cider from Newtopia Cider. Uh, so mm-hmm. it is a very citrusy cider because it has pineapple, blood orange, and guava in it. That sounds still sounds great it's good it's sweet but kind of like tangy because of the citrus mm. so it's not overly sweet um i i like it it's very refreshing which is yeah. nice on a hot california day <laughs> um true yeah is it but, hot out, like what's the temperature like there uh right now i want to say it's in the 60s maybe now because we're like later in the day probably like low 50s uh, but yesterday when we went out, it was like 60-something degrees, and we had to turn the AC on in the car when we went out because it was so hot. Because wow. this is the thing I'm remembering about California, is like, even if the temperatures are just like 65, which for a lot of people would be cold, or at least needing to wear like a light jacket to cover up, or wear pants <laughs> instead of shorts, um, because you have the sun just like beating down on you in the middle of the day... You yeah. do not need layer-up clothing if you are from a northern state and you are not used to the sun being like that, <laughs> which I'm sure you can relate to on some aspects, so. Yes. Yeah. I but, mean, I'm always cold, but that's because I'm just I'm Vermonty, Right. <laughs> yeah, fair. The, the cold will never leave your bones. It'll always be there. <laughs> Um, but otherwise, yeah, things, things are good here. We've, uh, been watching some movies this weekend, getting homework done, doing some chores and cleaning. So that's been just like fun, casual, easy. And then we're planning our spring break road trip because we're going to drive down the coast. Um, and we're going to stop in Monterey. We're going to stop... Oh, that's right. Yeah, so we're going to do a little, we're going to do a day in Monterey and uh, Carmel by the Sea, and then we're going to drive through Big Sur and, like, through the valley until we get to San Luis Obispo, and then we're going to stay overnight there one night, Um, and then we may do Pismo Beach, which is right by San Luis Obispo, do a day at Pismo Beach, and then come back 
Mm. So three days in, in total and then one day driving back. We were thinking about going all the way down to Santa Barbara on that third day, but the hotels in Santa Barbara are uh, so expensive because I forgot Santa Barbara's for rich people, so we will not <laughs> be going. It's wine country over there. It is, so we will not be going to Santa Barbara. <laughs> Oh, well. well. It still sounds like a good trip, though. Yeah, no, it'll be a lot of fun. We're, we're definitely excited to plan it, so should be should be a good time. I still need to book all of the hotels tonight, but that's a later problem. Plus, I need to finish my taxes <laughs> at some point. Being an adult, mm-hmm. responsibilities, struggle. And taxes are del- tax returns are delayed this year because of the all of the stimulus checks, so. Dumb. Yeah. I'm not getting a stimulus check, so that's dumb. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Also, I... I I got one, but... I owe the federal government money somehow. You do? Yeah, I don't know how. Interesting. Like $90, but... It's dumb. New York's giving me a pretty penny back, though. Oh, good, okay. And I had some... For whatever reason, I had some taxes withheld in California, but because I'm not moving to California... Or I didn't move to California until January 1st, technically, from a work perspective. Yeah. Um, all of the money I paid in California taxes will be coming back as well. So Okay, that's good. So you are getting something. It'll offset it. Yep. Exactly. So just need to finish finalizing some things related to, like, investments, and then I'll be done. Um, good. So complicated. But <laughs> anyways, uh, we should probably get into talking about... Let's do it the chapters with our dear fairies who don't have to worry about taxes but they have much worse things to worry about we're gonna talk about some murder and some coups and some backstabbing it's gonna be great um so we're talking about chapters 21 and 22 of the cruel prince by holly black today and i think let's just get right into it 20 chapter 21 which is officially the start of book two uh, and for those who don't remember, I don't know how you don't remember because it's seared in my brain for the rest of my life. But chapter 20, Balakin and Maddock conspired to do a coup and they killed almost all of the royal family except for <laughs> Cardin, uh, which was kind of crazy. So per Julie, I think your point when we first started this book, uh, we needed a little bit of a breather a little bit of a second to just take a step back and process everything that had happened. And so we're now starting book two, which of course, in true Holly Black style, she's starting us with a poem uh, called The Hosting of the She by William Butler Yeats. And I have many thoughts about this poem, but I'll get into them in our (laughs) general commentary. A good casual, strong Yeats poem. Just just a little bit of Yeats. Just, you know, I mean, we love it. We love some casual yeets thrown into a YA fantasy novel. Why not? It's a dark academia um, favorite, so. That's not wrong. And it's a nice fairy poem, too. Mm -hmm. She does a good job at finding, like, nice fairy poems or nice fae poems. Uh, So, anyway, so we're starting strong with book two with Jude hiding. She's hiding under a table in the revel that's kind of still going on after all of the murder because all the fairy are all the fae are completely wild now and off their hinges and just partying till 
literally whenever. Uh, So she's hiding, trying to calm her thoughts, but she can't really calm down because she's just reliving all of the deaths and how horrific the amount of death was, which, fair. She's having kind of some trauma flashbacks from the immediate past. She's also trying to comprehend Maddox's betrayal, specifically thinking that she was a fool for even letting herself for a moment forget who and what he really was. And Jude's at least grateful that the family was taken out of the coronation room and that Oak wasn't going to grow up with death being a foundational point of his childhood. Which... Uh Uh-huh, sure, Jude. Um, She... (laughs) She knows that she needs to get out of the room because it's definitely not safe to be a mortal in, to be a mortal in an unchecked revel. And she thinks about how she can get out and knows that she doesn't want to try and rejoin her family because she doesn't want to have to pretend that she isn't disgusted with Matic. So she decides she's going to try and get to the tunnels, this, the secret tunnels, <laughs> where, <laughs> early pop culture reference, sorry, um, but to get to the secret tunnels so that she can find the Court of Shadows, really, and starts moving, but uh, pretty soon someone takes the tablecloth off, the table she's hiding under, and grabs for her under the table, and she's about to stab whoever it is in pure Jude style, but then she recognizes Cardin's shoes. Cardin is super wasted and is telling Jude that it isn't safe for her there. And first off, she doesn't understand why he's acting like he cares about her safety at all, but mostly he's wondering why he's wandering around barely hidden with just like a flimsy half mask on. Because honestly, if she can recognize him, literally anyone could recognize him. But whatever. Uh, Jude tells him he needs to come under the table too, and he tries to play it off as a joke uh, like, haha, no, I'm not gonna deign to be with you. And then she punches him in the stomach and drags him under the table with her and tells him that they're going to stay hidden and crawl. And he actually agrees. He's not putting up too much of a fight. Jude starts panicking as they're crawling, so she bites her lip to focus on the pain because she knows that she can't lose it while Cardin is watching. He stops and just kind of sits in the ground and just starts babbling about things, about how his father hated him, how Dane ousted him from the palace, and how no one ever should have trusted Maddox, which is something that Jude's mother had figured out long ago. Low blow, Cardin. Yep. He's just lost it. And he's drunk, so somewhat fair. Not really. They get to the end of the tables, uh, and they're getting ready to, like, go head to the steps. Cardin reaches a hand out to help Jude up, which she ignores. <laughs> he stops her from, like, running up to the knights, saying that Maddox knights will recognize her, which she doesn't care about, but he makes a good point that if they recognize her, they'll question who she's with. <laughs> <laughs> These two are something else right now. And there's just this... This whole two chapters and their interaction just brought me so much joy. Um, this is even... like a comedy. It's a full-on comedy. That's literally one of my comments later. I Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll talk about it. <laughs> um, but he's like, oh yeah, that is a good point. So she pulls her hair out of her braids and like lets her hair flow down. And Cardin's like, uh, you look, uh... <laughs> can't speak and she's like oh all right i guess that disguised me and then she goes and steals a mask from a nixie so she doesn't look like herself when she comes back 
Carton's chugging more wine. <laughs> I just can't with him. And she grabs him to try and get to the steps. Um, and the guards tell them that the way is barred to common folk. And by folk, I mean, like, the fey folk. Uh, Jude tries to just agree and move away to find another way out. But Cardin, uh, using a little bit of flattery here, says something about High King Balakin and says that Jude is a friend with a message. He uses his royal ring as proof that they're in, like, league with Balakin. And Cardin grabs her and the guards uh, let them through. They ask about the mortal, a.k.a. Jude, and Cardin just insinuates that he's going to enjoy her as much as the revel uh which makes jude want to punch him again thankfully she doesn't this time uh, she then dissects Cardin's words for us the audience showing how nothing he said was a lie exactly everything he said had a kernel of truth in it but that she doesn't like how close his story came to her realm of lying she lets him lead her up the stairs and into the empty palace and then shoves him into a wall and puts a knife to his throat because she has no calm <laughs> at all. Uh, he says her name seemingly for the first time, almost pleading, and she takes pleasure in the power she has over him. End of chapter 21. <laughs> My God. Okay. Oh, goodness. Well... So, chapter 22, <laughs> fun doesn't stop. Cardin asks her why, and she just responds that she will delay hurting him if he does what she says, and he tries to ridicule her, asking if she was feeling left out of the slaughter. <laughs> she pushes the knife a little closer, and he tries to tries a different tact, tactic, mocking himself, which she ignores, and tries to get him to move. He says she wouldn't really stab him, and she tells him she killed Valyrian, and he doesn't know what she's capable of. She and her power complex. She says he's the most important person. It's so person. bad in this chapter. It's so bad. It's so bad. Sorry. She, she says he's the most important person in fairy, and whoever has him has power, and she wants power. That is like a direct quote. It's real. The power complex is real. He stays calm, which freaks her out, and makes, which freaks her out and makes her want to hurt him, but she doesn't want to let him see any weakness in her. So she tries to get him to move, and he tries to get the knife off his throat, and she nicks him a little and tries to look as cold and cruel as possible, realizing that she is mirroring the face in her nightmares, specifically Cardin's face in her nightmares. So she's turning into so Cardin, weird. which uh -huh. is just a whole weird... Her brain confuses me. They move towards a secret passage, and he gets in. They go to the nest of the Court of Shadows, and she ties him to a chair. She starts taking inventory of what she has in the room and realizes the enormity of what it means that Dane is gone, knowing she needs to take her own power now. She pulls Cardin into Dane's room and trains a crossbow on him. He asks what they are, and she tells him where the spies where they are and she tells them where the spies meet and Carter's is wondering how she knows that and why she brought him here and she is honest that she's trying to figure out what to do next he worries that someone will discover her in the lair and then it dawns on him that she is one of the spies and she finally has silenced him oh my god <laughs> this moment where he was like teenager i'm just worried about you and she's just like but nope but and I, he's like, oh, I'm no. How about you? 
She starts going through Dane's correspondence, including the stolen notes, looking for some reason why he had been betrayed. She starts thinking about it more generally, noting that, noting that she always considered Dane and Eldred the unquestionable rulers. Though it was understood that Maddox was allowed to be... <laughs> it was understood that Maddox was allowed to be bloodthirsty to a point, and they kept him in check, which seemed honorable. She always thought he believed the values he had. She always thought that he believed the values he had raised them on. Then she turns back on Carden, asking if he knew what Balakin was going to do, and he says no. Asking if she knew what Maddox was planning, wanting to know, even though she can lie. She is honest and says she didn't know, but she should have. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> she should have. I knew in chapter five, so. She's so, like, she cannot see past her own needs. So she takes his royal ring off, noting she feels a sense of panic when she touches him. What the heck? She starts to write a letter, knowing that the seals from all the royals look almost identical. Carden asks her to asks her for more alcohol, noting he would like to be drunk for any upcoming unpleasantness. <laughs> classic she hears a noise and goes back into the common room seeing the roach breaking a bunch of stuff which the ghost tries to prevent him from doing they both look surprised to see her and the ghost thinks she's on her father's side and apparently vom is still out there jude uses logic to explain to them there's no no way she is on her father's side because she wouldn't have come alone with carton she would have come with a bunch of guards true well, she's playing a long game, but yeah. She's not that she, that's smart. That's not her. <laughs> no. <laughs> the Roach is impressed she kept her head in Brett Carden, and Carden tries to appear calm, but his tail has gotten loose and showcases all of his anxiety. This is so weird. <laughs> and Jude understands why he keeps it hidden. The ghost wants to kill Carden. The Roach wants to sell him to Balakin and go live well among the lower courts and tells Jude she could come too, which she finds tempting. The ghost really just wants to kill him, and Carton starts getting scared, which brings Jude pleasure. Oh my god. Uh, he offers to tell them about Balakin, break into his treasury, and get the money, because he has the keys. And Jude just comments that her dreams are coming true, where Carton is begging and powerless. This girl in this chapter. I can't. The ghost asks what Carden knew about the plan and said he knew nothing more than Balakin despised Dane, and that was because Dane was despicable, which Jude doesn't believe. Specifically, Dane poisoned Lyriope, I can never say her name, Lyriope, and the unborn baby because Dane was the father and he didn't want Eldred finding out. And he also made sure Carden was kicked out of the court and poisoned, <laughs> and poisoned Eldred enough so that he was feeling tired to convince him to step down. Carden seems pleased that he was able to surprise Jude and the others at least a little, and Jude knows she shouldn't be so shocked that the kingdom is corrupt and that Dane was only using her because she's useful. She ponders what the best course of action is, what Balakin would give her if she turned Carden over, and realizes nothing he would give her would be good, because anything he gave her would not be true power. It cannot be given or taken away. She knows she cannot see herself serving Balakin, given how cruel he was. She reminds everyone that Carden is her prisoner, and she is <laughs> she is the best bet any deal if she decides to broker one, and Carden cautions her. <laughs> Power she trip! Starts, <laughs> my god! She starts, she starts to think back on all the puzzle pieces, why Balakin would want proof of Lyriope's 
poisoning now, what the proof was meant to do. The ghost's Liriope was poisoned seven years ago. Mm. And Dane had been given a prophecy about the kid. If it lived, he would never be king. She knows she never wants to be the kind of fool that bases decisions on fairy riddles. Then she knows she will go to ground for a day to figure out what Cardin is worth to Maddox and come back later to make a decision and asks for their oath to do nothing until then. The ghost doesn't really trust her, worried she will fall in with Maddox, and she reminds him Maddox isn't her father and they will have Cardin, so they have to trust each other. They agree, but say if she brings Maddox back with her, they will kill Cardin and her. She agrees the questions and questions whether the GS is still active after Dane's death, and the ghost says if she takes more than one day, they will kill Cardin and cut the losses. Cardin tries to catch her eye, and she ignores him, and everyone swears their promises. My god. Yeah. My god. Same. I don't even know. Like, I honestly, I feel so bad for Cardin in all of this. He is really just a pawn. Like, he has he, he has done nothing these two chapters, and he is getting completely dragged everywhere. Like, no one at all Literally. is even listening to anything he has to say, even no. though he's saying some actually pretty smart and insightful things, like, half the time. And nobody's listening to him at all. And then Jude's like, oh my god, is he expressing an emotion? No, we can't have that. Get that out of here. Like... <laughs> She's, like, in denial, because she's, like, (laughs) I just want to see him suffer and, like, suppressing some feelings that she really needs to think long and hard about. She needs to deal with her own feelings She is, like, she is, like, a bully who's just trying to bully someone because it makes them feel better when, in reality, she actually likes the person, but she's just exerting her energy in the wrong way. It's so true. Oh my god. Okay, but we'll we'll get into it. Um, so one thing I just before we get into the actual chapter, I just want to talk about the poem because that's my thing. So one thing I really like about this poem that Holly Black chose about the ho- the hosting of the she. It's interesting because it kind of seems as if it's talking about a mortal person coming into some sort of a fey realm. And if they actually see the Fae in the Fae realm, that their mortal dreams are going to be completely dashed. Anything that was their hopes, was their fears, was their, like, belief about how the world worked is Mm -hmm. going to be disrupted and torn away um, because of their interaction with the Fae. And it feels like that's so fitting for Jude's turning point right now. Like, because of this coronation mishap because of this whole situation her tie even though she is mortal her ties to the mortal world any chance that she really had of like potentially fleeing and going back there and starting her life over it feels like now like they're irrevocably gone like she's Mm -hmm. not going to be able to get that mortalness back she's fully enveloped in the ways of the court and I just really liked that about that poem. That it kind of felt like we were crossing that bridge with Jude into this next book. I don't know if you well, had any what? takes on it. No, I honestly didn't read the poem. <laughs> 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 I saw Yeats and I was like, Yeats, out of here. 
We're eating out. <laughs> I mean, like, I appreciate it, but I'm, I will say, like, I think that for really strong literary books, I will read a poem if it prefaces something in mm-hmm. a book, but, like, I've never read YA poems that preface chapters and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> just, it I feels mean, so weird. It's it such does. a weird contradiction because you have this, like, powerful piece of literary work and then you have like two teenagers battling it out and being stupid like hiding under a table i yes but do i wish that there were more high concept literary poems in front of buddy cop movies (laughs) yes yes i do now i'm convinced it works (laughs) i love that Anyways, yep. So that was my thought on the poem. What are your thoughts on chapter 21, Julia? I just, I like how it begins with Jude under the table and just Mm -hmm. having this like panic attack because I think it's a really good reminder, and I've said this before, that she is a teenager and we get these moments of her acting like a teenager Mm -hmm. and like she just witnessed like what is a teenager going to do? She just witnessed how many people get murdered in front of her eyes People that she is, like, it's not even like she has a disconnect between the people getting murdered that she saw. Like, she knows these people. She has yeah. talked to them. She's not friendly with them. But, like, she has that interaction, so there's that feeling of, like, connection to them. And she just watched them get beheaded and slaughtered. And, like, yeah, what else is she going to do? She's going to hide under the table because that's what a kid does. And, like, mm-hmm. she is still a kid. Right, it's hiding um, from the feelings, hiding from the problems, because, like, yeah. and the table's just representative of that, and the revel is indicative of all of the feelings and the problems that are, like, surrounding her on all sides, right? Exactly. Um, And it's, like, not even just dealing with the death of all of these people that she has grown up with and was not intimately familiar with, but, like, familiar with, knew their personality mm-hmm. traits and their quirks. You know, they were friends with her family and with her sisters. But then she also has to deal with the fact that her father isn't the man that she thought he was. Yeah. Or the person she thought he was, since he's not technically a man. Um, And that's a big, heavy thing to deal with as a teenager. The fact that, like, your biggest parental figure is, like, not actually going to have your best interests at heart. Or understand what your best interests are and the things that motivate you. um, And that they may be selfish and, you know, pick their own needs over yours. Like, that's a really hard thing to deal with. And I I really thought that the beginning of this chapter was super heartbreaking. Like, in exactly what you were saying. It's the first time we've actually seen Jude, even for a moment, like, stop to try and process some of the feelings that she's having. Mm -hmm. And... It was, I don't know, it was really powerful to read. Also, I loved her concern for Oak. Like, I thought that was really sweet. I know. Yeah, poor Oak. Oh, poor Oak. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> I also like the contrast uh, where she notes when he is asked about the guard, when they go up to the guards, and the guard is like, um well, you're commoners, you can't be here. And she notes, like, Carden has a visible drawback to being called a commoner. He's not Mm -hmm. used to that. Like, he is very prideful. He is a royal. He's not, that's not who he is. Right. And then a little bit later on, we have Carden stepping in and being like, well, I'm going to enjoy 
this moral and she is the one now who is like having this visible you know thing against being called you know this enjoyment mortal i mean it's slightly different because i think a commoner is a lot less insulting than what he said but (laughs) it's still interesting that like within just like a couple minutes basically they both had these two insults thrown at them um you can kind of see their different personalities like he is he still sees himself as royal even though he really shouldn't Mm because he's in a dangerous position and she is you know she doesn't want to be seen as just another mortal cavorting along in this world right I just love that she doesn't pick up on the fact that he's, like, still saying, like, I'll enjoy my time with this mortal. And she's, like, not picking up on the fact that, like, he's not lying. <laughs> like, yeah. he likes spending time with her. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, that's she's she t- so mean Because <laughs> she twists it in the way that she wants, that she to interpret that it. he, yeah. yeah, exactly. She's a terrible narrator. <laughs> she's the She's literally worse than Rin. (laughs) But, I mean, the good thing is with her versus Rin, like, Rin is an unreliable... I know we're pop-culturing, but, like, Rin is an unreliable narrator where you honestly can't pick up sometimes on other characters' motivations and what's going on because she's so blind to everything that's going on that she doesn't describe it. Jude describes it. And then interprets it wrong. So, like, we can just ignore her interpretation, but we get the description that we can come to our own conclusion. Which is fair. One thing that I do like about this book, that even though the the narrator's interpretation of every situation is incorrect, at least we still get every description in full. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's a completely fair point. They both have their own. They have so many problems. Like... The seven deadly sins, they each fulfill at least six of them. <laughs> I swear. Yeah. I also had one more thing in chapter 21. She, mm-hmm. when she pulls her hair down and Corden is like, <gasps> <laughs> like, I love that. Hat. I feel like this is such a, like, YA trope is it to is. have the protagonist either put her hair up into this beautiful bouquet or like pull it down and like astonish everyone with her looks or um if in a movie trope if we're talking YA movie tropes take off the glasses yeah of course (laughs) which we didn't walk to remember that is the biggest biggest one i can think of is like she literally takes off her glasses pulls her hair down and everyone's like she's beautiful and then she dies sorry to spoil that but like damn we're not even in the right section for spoilers julia come on (laughs) anyway (laughs) not wrong i'll have more when we get to pop culture but i i love that moment it's it's so funny um hilarious i'm like it's so it's such a trope but it's also so funny it's like i love it every single time because this is so (laughs) funny it's like if that actually happened in real life I know. If that actually happened in real life, though, we would all be doing that. But that never happens in real life. Because we like, don't look that different when we pull our hair down. No. I mean, I, mean like, I used to wear my hair up all the time. And, like, I I have gotten comments when I put it down. But, like, it's not, like, a visible, like, oh, my God, you're so beautiful with your hair down. <laughs> it's like, oh, your hair's down. Wow. Right. Well, yeah. It's, like, it's not, like, when my hair is up versus when my hair is down. When my hair is down, all of a sudden, boys forget how to speak Mm -hmm. like you don't get that big of a change no 
No. It's just not real. And he's, like, seen her with her hair down before. It's not a yeah. big <laughs> But he's seeing her for the first time through these new eyes that he realizes he loves her. Yeah, drunk and after his entire family was murdered. Classic. Listen, <laughs> you know, sometimes when your entire family gets murdered, you realize what's most important to you in life. Yeah, mortal girl pulling her hair down. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Um, I just, in general, at the beginning of this chapter, like, Carden, you know what just happened. Even drunk. Why are you wandering around with a crap mask on, wearing shoes that clearly everyone can recognize as yours? I mean, granted, I know that Jude has, like, a hyper fixation on everything to do with Carden's style compared to the average fairy, but still, Balakin would know his shoes. Yeah. So, it's just, I just, oh, God. But He's I do love, he is an idiot. But I do love that his very first drunk thought that we, like, get is about her safety. <laughs> I know. It just, it reminded me a lot, even though I know this is not the relationship between the two of them, but it reminded me a lot of, like, drunk college girls in the bathroom like looking Taking out care for of one each another. other <laughs> yeah. oh my god he is a drunk college he girl is. so funny he is a drunk wow. college girl i love that for him and just the whole interaction between the two of them when he first lifts up the tablecloth is like absolute perfection when uh-huh. she punches him in the stomach and tells him what to do and then she's like don't tell me it's beneath your dignity to crawl. You're so drunk, you can barely stand anyway. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> They're in a buddy cop movie, but I love it. They really are. I, I love it. I would we, love to see this on screen because I think it would be so funny. I know. <laughs> Why don't we have more buddy cop movies where, like, their love interests? I think we need more of that. I think that would be hilarious. And teenagers. <laughs> Well, then they probably can't be cops. But. Yeah, all of the angst. I mean, we kind of get that with Six of Crows. That's true. We need, like, a good, like, Nancy Drew-style reboot, but not Nancy Drew. Yeah. That this could work in. That would be yeah. great. Like, Teen Detectives. I would love to watch that. Oh, God. More Teen Detectives. Basically, content. like, a Brooklyn Nine-Nine meets any YA protagonist and their love interest. Not wrong. Except Jake Peralta, even though he's in his 30s, has the emotional maturity of a teenage boy. Uh, So we basically get that. And Amy Santiago... Amy's a little bit more mature. (laughs) She is, but she sucks up like a 17-year-old teacher's pet, and she makes way too many Harry Potter references to be an adult. That's fair. So maybe we do have it just in a slightly different context. I just need more. More content. All the more content. True. But I love it. I also just don't understand why Jude gets so perturbed with Cardin having emotions. Like, I get that he doesn't show them. I get that. But, like, he is a person. Everyone has a Mm. moment. And she's just like, no, he's not allowed to have grief. What is this? His entire family got murdered and he thinks he can express anything? No, that's not allowed. Like, girl... What? She is so mean to him. It is unbelievable. It's so wild how mean she is. And then he still is able to, completely drunk, 
go up to these guards and spin a story that is still accurate so he's not lying and like get them through where they need to go like i thought that was impressive he has it together he might be drunk but he knows how to keep it together and i think it's because he like i think when you are drunk and i have a lot of experience with this but like um i think that when you're drunk when you, you realize that you are in danger or someone you are with is in danger you're more likely to act rationally which is exactly uh-huh. what happens here he recognizes like okay like jude is in danger because like I mean, I'll get to this in chapter 22, but, like, it's not, we know that it's not about him necessarily. It's about Jude. Like, he's actually worried about her safety. I know. Um, and so he recognizes that and is able to actually, like, for a minute be sober enough to get them yeah. to safety. Those little, like, sobering up and then you slink back in. Yeah. And, yeah, it's the adrenaline because the adrenaline will course through your body and, like, you'll yeah sort of, like, wake up and then. No, that's so true. And she doesn't recognize that. She should be asking, like, why is he able to do this when he's drunk? And she's like, huh. And instead, she's like, well, I guess everything he said was kind of true, except I don't like that thing he said about enjoying a mortal. No, that's not what he meant. And it's like, dude, Dude. focus on the big picture. God. (laughs) Uh, And then my last comment for chapter 21 this is the only moment in these two chapters that I, like, fully appreciated Jude's violent behavior was her pulling the knife on his throat, like, all sneakily once they're in the palace. Uh, not because I actually enjoy the fact that she's threatening him, but I just really like that trope in fantasy. <laughs> and I'm glad that it's, like, a girl doing it to a guy. I always love it when it's, like, that power reversal or she's yeah. just like i've got you now and he's like oh no and then also weirdly love him saying her name i don't know why just like when i read that on the page i'm like oh my heart <laughs> i don't know where it's coming from but i have a visceral name reaction. is a powerful thing that's true but yeah every time he says her name now i have a visceral reaction to it i think it's like i'm getting this isn't even really a pop culture reference, so I'm sorry. But I'm getting, like, Darcy and Lizzie vibes when, like, Darcy says her name and, like, says, like, Elizabeth. I lose it. Like, I just lose <laughs> it. And that's, yeah, similar, similar reactions for me. Every when I, I would was love to know the loud. psychology behind names, like, saying a name out loud. Because, like, you have it just the regular, like, you know, getting someone's attention. But, like, I'm pretty sure... I read somewhere like there is a psychology when somebody who is interested in you says your name there's like something else to it mm-hmm. i'll look it up later but yeah, yeah. that'd be be interesting i mean i know it's as a reader i feel like it's always when you don't yeah. hear it too much it almost has like more power so since we've never yeah. heard him say her name before him saying it means so much more that it's like they have now crossed a boundary like they're moving to a new place with one another where he feels comfortable doing that and that's Mm -hmm. he's trying he's trying so hard to flirt and it's just not working for him poor child Mm. this is why you don't insult their family you know yeah (laughs) just saying um anyways that's all i have for chapter 21 do you have anything else no. Okay. Chapter, Chapter 22. 22. <laughs> okay, I want to start, because I kind of started talking about this before, but okay. he says specifically 
and if one of the spies returns, they're going to discover you in their lair and dot, dot, dot. It's the you that does it for me. Uh-huh. It's like, this is what put like hammers at home it's not about him he's specifically in is in distress he's not saying this just to like rile her up or like just make it seem like he's being selfless like he is in distress because he actually is concerned and saying they're going to discover you not us not me you and like, she's just like just i got you at this point he was just held at knife point by her and dragged into this room and is now tied up. And he's like, well, I'm worried about you. Like, what? <laughs> what? You're the one tied up on a chair right now. Yeah, his um self-perception and, like, willingness to keep himself alive, not great. No. <laughs> no. Not if he is. He needs some some help there. It's like literally until the ghost has to say twice, I propose we kill him. Cardin's like, please don't. No. Uh, yeah, his, he seems to have some kind of a penchant for self-sacrifice that I don't know where it's coming from. Um, but I do love how, like, overly concerned he is about the girl who has a knife and a sword and has been able to overpower him, like, three times already that night. It's adorable, even though it's misplaced. Yeah. I don't like Um, this side of Jude, though. No, and, like, that leads me to, like, when she's talking and she realizes, like, she is turning into what she pictures Carden to be. Mm-hmm. Cardin has never been the nightmare. And, like, you you talked about this in the last episode. Like, she she's the one who's making all of this up about him. Like, mm-hmm. he has been mean. He's been a bully. But never to the point where it's been, like, terrifying. Um, that's always been at Valyrian's kind of push. Um, Except the river. The river yeah, yeah, is the yeah. one thing that I think was terrifying that he did. But other than that, yeah. we don't have any examples of, like, him pulling on strings to yeah. get stuff. And even with the river, I think he was trying to be like, I want you to beg me. Like, he just wanted her to pay attention. Yeah. He, he's being a teenage boy. Um, did he caution her? Or that not her, them too? Like, I feel like he did. He was like, let's not, like, let, let's just leave them there. Like, they wanted to keep taking it further. And he was like, let's just go. Yeah, like, no, he, I'm he pretty sure he pulled Valerian and Nikasia off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and it's not like, like, Jude is a weak person. Like, she could get out of the river, and I think that he would know that. Right. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> now she's turning into this terrifying creature that she thought Carton was, which is almost more terrifying. It's more terrifying. I literally wrote that down, and I was like, everything that she's doing is so much worse than Carton ever was from what we can see. And it's kind of a lot like Valerian. Like, Cardin is clearly, I can see it as he's, like, flipping through different conversations. He's trying, like, 17 different ways to keep her from killing him and to, like, have a conversation with her and try to figure a way out of the situation. And she's just, there's no empathy, no sympathy, and Mm -mm. she's caving into even more violent thoughts, which it's like... A very small part of me understands why she reacts to him that way because of this monster that she's built up in her mind, but I want her to be better than this. Yeah. 
And it's so annoying to watch her, like, turn into the basest version of herself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just feel bad for Curtin. Like, we were talking about, like, he feels like a pawn. This whole game, everyone is playing around him, and they're just, like, passing him from place to place. Nobody wants him for him. They just want him for, like, what access to power or fun he can provide. Like, even Jude who notably hates when people don't see what she's capable of and don't see her for who she is, isn't capable of seeing anything more in him other than what power he can provide to her. And it pisses me off because, like, she doesn't want to be that... She doesn't want people to see her that way, and then she's treating other people how she doesn't want to be treated. Jude needs to learn the golden rule. Also, why does she tell... Like, I understand it was a power move, but, like... She actually tells him that she killed Valyrian. Like, I get that she wants to have power over him and be like, and like rub it in his face, but like, that's not a small secret. Like, he was still, he was like visibly worried about where Valyrian was. Maybe not worried, but like, still like thinking about where Valyrian was. And she's like, I killed him. And he's like, what? (laughs) Wait, uh, what? He's like, I don't know. That's a big secret to give away that I feel like is something, like, secrets are powerful. If she was smart, she would keep that to herself. Well, but... And I think it's so interesting because Jude, this entire chapter, feels like the villain. Mm -hmm. Like, she feels like she's revealing her secret villain plot and, like, her master plan valerian's just part of that and so exactly to your point you're like wait that's not something that you tell someone else that you did or are doing like that's not what you give away but that's the trope that's the villain trope they tell you the plot and then you thwart them (laughs) god she's literally being written as a super villain she is but he doesn't care. I, he still loves her and is concerned about her. Like, I mean, I think on some level he probably recognizes, like, she is out of character. She is going crazy. She has no idea what's happening. She's out of control. And she, he has probably seen, I mean, like, his own family is, like, power hungry, right? Mm-hmm. He knows people who are power hungry and how crazy you can get. So I think mm-hmm. on some level he probably recognized that in her and is like, okay, like... <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> well, that's why he seems to try so many different ways. Like, he tries taunting her. He tries reasoning with her. He tries, you know, flattering her. Like, there's so many different things that he tries to do mm-hmm. to get through to her. And it's just, like, not working. Because she's on this power trip. But also, he clearly has never been successful with any of the different tactics he's tried with his family. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be in this situation. So, Cardin probably just has a little bit more growing up and learning to do and how to deal with crazy people. Yeah. Well, like, at least on here, they're they're kind of on the same level now. Right. Like, he is a wanted person. She's a wanted person for, I mean, she's not really wanted, but, like, (laughs) she could be. And, like, she's become a pretty pivotal figure because she is related to Maddox, who staged the coup. But also tied to Um, Dane. Anti-today. Even that's not known, like, but it's relevant. Exactly. And, like, in the past, Cardin, as we know, was 
very much below everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody saw him as being serious. Balakin was cruel to him, and so he was basically, like, just, like, the submissive kid, and, like, mm-hmm. nobody cared about him. Um, yeah. That's, it's so true. Like, they're kind of becoming peers in a way that Jude never really realized that they could be peers before. Yeah. It's also just so sad with everything we learn in this chapter, which I we can talk about more, I guess, but, like, it's just so sad hearing Cardin talk about how little he was wanted mm-hmm. by his entire family. That it's, like, the only one who took him in was Balakin, and even then he beat him. Yeah. Like, and now he's wanted, but for the wrong reasons. Right. No one wants him for him. They want him for the power he can provide. Yeah. Like, being wanted for your blood and not wanted for who you are is just so sad. Yeah, it really Oh, is. it just, it hurts. It hurts so bad. I want to just give him a little hug. Like, just I know. So someone in his life can show him empathy because clearly none of these need people are capable therapy. of it. They all need therapy. therapy. They all need therapy so bad. Mm-hmm. Seriously, so bad. Well, um, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But um, one thing that Jude says that's like she accidentally like brushes his bare skin when she like takes his ring off his finger and she's like, <gasps> I panicked when I touched him and I was like. Oh, God. Listen, let me tell you something, Jude. Passion, of any kind, (laughs) walks a very fine line. You hate Cardin, as you think right now, and so you have a visceral response when you touch him, whether it's fear or anger or whatever, that will very quickly turn into lust. It's a fine line. The only... She Wait. needs to read more YA books and she would know. <laughs> she would know. She would have spent more time at Barnes and Noble when she went to the mall with Vivi. <sighs> Too much just... Alice in Wonderland, not enough YA books. <laughs> no, that's so true. I'm just it's a fine, fine line. You gotta yeah. walk it carefully like a tightrope. <laughs> She's gonna fall off <laughs> many times. <laughs> uh but yeah, so speaking of Cardin's therapy need like I want to help him through his use of alcohol as a coping mechanism because that's not healthy especially as a kid I mean I know he's not like a mortal kid but still still, well but that trope happens for teens all the time like as well as adults where we have teens who turn to drugs and alcohol and use them as coping mechanisms for trauma and like I wish that we taught I mean, I know that we teach teens healthier ways, like in school and stuff, but I wish that the characters that the teens were seeing had healthier ways of dealing with their trauma. Does that make us interesting of a story? No. But do we need to bake it in in ways that still has a compelling story? Yes. Like, we need to normalize therapy in books. (laughs) I don't know how, but we need to. (laughs) Uh... But on the bright Agreed. side, the tail. Oh my god, the tail freaks me out. That I remember like why now it took me so long to read this before. It's because I have I cannot read anything where people are like half animal, half human, or they have like some sort of animal element to them. Like it just 
it feels wrong. I don't know. And like that part, reading it now, I'm like, I'm just going to pretend I didn't read that. There is a very descriptive use of the tale in like book three, I think. Oh God. And I'm <laughs> always like, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. I can't with the tale. I'm like, I'm not an animal human reader person. Like, I can't do it. I just can't. I mean, it is weird. I'm not, I'm not into it, but I do like that it shows his, his personality emotions. in a way mm-hmm. that, like, he's suppressing. Yeah, I would rather it be, like, a mood ring or something. <laughs> Or, like, his eye color changes or whatever, you know? Right, but Jude wouldn't be able to pick up on those things. Have you met her? That's true. I know. You mean something really obvious for her, where it's, like, something's flailing about, and she'd be like, ah, yes, he's anxious. And it's like, well, no shit, he's anxious, Jude. Duh. (laughs) You have him tied up and have threatened to kill him, like, three times. I'd be anxious, too. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hugely into the tale, but, like, I kind of just forgot that it existed, and I feel like I will continue to forget that it exists every time Uh until it's mentioned. And it's gonna be mentioned at some very unopportune times. Oh, please tell me it's not in a hookup. No! (laughs) No! I don't want that! I don't want that! That's... Anyway. Oh God. Okay, well, that's not till book three. I've got time. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, uh, so back to me talking about how much I hate Jude in this chapter. I'm really over the power trip. It's overkill. By the end of the chapter, it is severe <laughs> overkill. The level of joy she's taking in his fear and pain is unsettling. She is such a masochist. Like, I get... N- no, she's a sadist. She's not a sadist. masochist. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Masochist is upon self. Sadist is on uh, someone else. I mean, she is also a masochist, but yes, <laughs> she is also a sadist. In this moment, she's a sadist. She's a sadist. Like, <laughs> I get why she's not into him yet. I totally get that. But I also, and I also get why she wants to have power over him. But the level of just like pure, unadulterated joy she gets out of his pain and fear is gross. It's gross. I do not like it. It just reminds me of so many, like, creepy male villains. And Mm -hmm. I don't like it on male villains. And I don't like it on female villains. I don't like it on anybody. Equal opportunity feminist here. That's bullshit for both genders. No. (laughs) Yeah, she's scary in this chapter. Uh, Do you have any other comments before we get into the big... No, I'm ready. Let's okay. To talk about it. So, I think I figured out the big thing that you were talking about. Liriope was poisoned seven years ago, which, coincidentally, is about the same time, if I have my maths correct, when Oak was born. No. Oak? No. Oh, stop with that sarcasm. <laughs> I haven't read the book yet. I'm theorizing. Continue. Oak is a baby child of Dane, 
which would explain why Oriana got out of the court life and landed herself in a safe household, even if the household was not something that she wanted. And Maddox found out, because of all of Balakin's shenanigans, that Oak was not his child, which is why he was not going to support Dane. And this prophecy that was made about, like, if the child lived, Dane would never be king, could actually be about Oak, which is why Dane is not king, because Oak is still alive. Uh, you had about 50% of that right. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I got it. I got into a roll. I will say that you are making Maddox out to be much more selfless than he actually is. Oh, is that a selfless thing? Yeah. I thought it was just another reason why he wouldn't support Dane. Oh, okay. Well, it's more selfless than the actual reason. So. That he just wants blood? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But if he also knew, like, that's just another checkbox. Like, why I'm not going to, I'm going to support this other guy. Because this other guy told me that my wife was unfaithful. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. I'm not going to spoil that much. But my theory is correct. The big theory is correct, yes. Yeah. Oak is Dane's baby, baby child. Yeah. What about the prophecy thing? What about it? Does that come back again? Like, is that part right? Uh, I think it is, actually. Yeah, I think it does come back again. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot of, uh, complex royal stuff that Mm -hmm. is brought up later on. Well, they're gonna need to explain the, like, logistics of all of this. Yeah. Obviously, because, like, I don't know any of the logistics. Yeah, we're gonna get all of them. The timeline I, like, quickly checked on, I was like, okay, they said seven years, and then immediately my brain was like, wait a second, how old is Oak? So I quickly Googled without clicking into any links, because I didn't want to be spoiled. I was just like, how old is Oak in The Cruel Prince? And then a wiki article popped up, and it was like, he's eight in The Queen of Nothing. So I was like, so he's probably seven in The Cruel Prince, so... I think it's brought up that he's also seven. But the big, this wasn't the first big hint. The first big hint, which is why I was trying to get you to oh, figure out last time, was the acorn. Where do acorns come from? Oak trees. Yeah. Aw, that's cute. Okay, I like I that. I know. I always loved that little tidbit. I thought that was so adorable. That was like a nice little little hint. But so I guess the thing I, mean, I didn't get it from that, but maybe I they'll it was cute. explain this. It's still not clear to me. Like, is Oak Liriope's son or is Oak Oriana's son? Oh, it's Liriope's son. Yeah, it's Liriope's son. So Oriana just kind of like yes. spirited him away. For her friend yeah, from yeah, court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. That is, that is true. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, that explains why you said 50% of my stuff was wrong. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. No, that's helpful context. But at least I got it before they said it, so. Mm-hmm. I'm not a yeah. complete idiot. <laughs> Yay. So Oak is the key to the next couple books because he is going to become very important. Oh my god, very, so very Oak important. could become king? Yikes. He could be, yeah. Because he's part of the bloodline, even though he's not a direct descendant of Eldred. And he's only seven. Yeah. 
And he's also crazy. Old. That child has no chill. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um. Well, and obviously, I mean, this goes without saying, but Cardin definitely knows something more than the information he already provided. Yeah. And he... I think he wants to, like, just tell you, like, be upfront with her. Like, here's all the information you need to know. And she's just like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> and both of them are going to be in some hot water because she's not open to conversation. She's, they're both idiots. Because, like, he should not be opening his mouth this much. She should be listening to him. Like, neither of them are, like, I just... They should have had these conversations way before the the spies got there. But instead, she was too busy, like, doing her own investigatory skill. Like, using her own investigatory skills and wrong. Like, she didn't find anything useful. No. (laughs) All for nothing. God, so dumb. The only good information we got in this chapter was out of Cardin. Like, if she would have just tried to get him to talk earlier, he would have been totally upfront with her. It's just, ugh, wild. The, both of them, so wild. Also, is it not interesting that the ghost knows so much about Lyrio? Well, didn't he kill her? Yeah. He's been around for a long time, that means. He knows a lot of secrets. Hmm... That's fair. And he's the one who killed, who was it, who was going to crown, crown Balak in the Kalia. of the sisters. Yeah, he killed Kalia. Yeah, no, he was definitely Even more loyal. Even though Dane loyal. was already dead. He was definitely more loyal to Dane, or something to do with Dane, than the roaches. He's got a vibe. I don't know how I feel about the ghost. I liked him early on, but, uh, I don't know. I don't like it. When you spend I just too long in I service of someone corrupt, it's not exactly. good. That's, I remember reading it and I was like, why does he know so much? Why has he been doing this for so long? Like, it just seems scary. Mm-hmm. And like, like, that whole little story, I feel like could have somehow come from Cardin. But she, Holly makes it come from the ghost instead. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Well, but I also think that that's... Like, Cardin may know things or thinks he knows things. And so if he thinks he knows things, mm-hmm. he could say them as if they were truth, even if they aren't truth. I'm pretty sure that's mm-hmm. a way yeah, around yeah, fairy yeah. logic, right? Um, opinions. <laughs> but <laughs> the ghost is the one who did it. And so he's just like, well, this is the truth of the matter. Because even though... I don't know. He's he's probably fully corrupt, and in his full corruption, again, going back to, like, the big villain speeches, is they don't realize that they shouldn't be sharing that kind of information. Yeah. Everyone's a villain. <laughs> no one here is trustworthy. <laughs> Seriously. Don't trust anyone. I trust Vivi. I think I said this at the beginning. Don't trust anyone, except for Vivi, but don't trust anyone else. Oh, God. <laughs> I wonder if Vivi knew that Maddox was planning this and that's why she was pouting because it meant that it was going to be a while before she'd be able to get back to Heather. Yeah. Like, not even caring about the entire situation. Just be like, ugh, not going to be able to go to the mortal realm for, like, two weeks. That would have been funny. (laughs) 
I mean, it feels very Vivi. She's very self-centered. I know. Oh, God. Do you have any more comments for chapter 22? No, I don't. Okay. Are there any other big, crazy surprises I'm missing? Not in these two chapters, no. We're just getting to a whole lot of, like, important pieces of information. Fair. That's fair. We are getting... And we'll still be getting them, because we actually haven't gotten this reveal about Oak yet. We've just guessed at it. I mean, there's another plot twist, but I don't think it's alluded to in these two chapters. I mean, it kind of is, but not in the way that you would think, so it's not obvious. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I'll see if I can figure it out in later chapters. This one, at least, was made pretty obvious, but... This is more about us getting information about what the heck is going on. (laughs) And still not enough. There will never be enough information. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Pop culture. Ah. I had one, and I kind of already talked about it, but I didn't mention this one. It's when she takes her hair down. It reminded me so much of Princess Mia. Yes! Yes! I am making a Princess Diaries reference for once instead of you. I got it first. Mm-hmm. Which, well, which, yes. which reference are you making? Oh, I was making it to the movie... Okay. When, because it's been years since I read the book, you think I'm going to remember that? Like, when she, she, her hair comes down, everyone's like, oh my god. Oh, in class? Yeah. When she takes her hat off, and they're like, yeah. Like, that is a real, that is a real transformation, because, like, that, she went from, like, huge hair, (laughs) and suddenly, like, and her eyebrows are done, and, like, everything, you know, it's a real transformation. Well, in that way, it also reminds me of Ron's, like, flabbergastedness when Hermione comes down at the Yule Ball, and he's like, wait a second. So funny. Yeah. So, I also had a Princess Diaries reference, but mine was based off the books, so there's this moment where she gets all dolled up for Halloween and she dresses up as Glinda the Good Witch and she ends up going to a movie with Michael Moskovitz and then Kenny, who ends up becoming her boyfriend. I think this is in the second book, but it might be the third. But Kenny ends up becoming her boyfriend after the whole situation. They're all going to the movies to go see Rocky Horror together and she shows up in this big princess dress and like a crown being Glinda the Good Witch. And Michael Moskovich is just like, You uh you look uh you look really uh nice. <laughs> oh my god. That is carded. And she's just like, wait, what? Oh my god, Michael Moskovich said I looked nice. What does that mean? <laughs> he probably uh. just, you know was trying to be nice because I'm Lily's friend, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Teenage girls are so bad at figuring out feelings. It's so funny. I mean, we were like that, too. But I know. <laughs> it's so funny to look back on that. It is. It's That's well, why Princess Stars is just so, like, relatable. It's because, like, that's exactly what we were like. Like, at least with, like, Cruel Prince, right, you have this, like, vindictive person who's, like, <laughs> You can relate to her on some level, but, like, for the most part, like, she is completely unrelatable. Mm-hmm. But, like, Princess Diaries, like, obviously we're not all going to become princesses as much as we want to be. Um, 
But, like, it's the way that she approaches, like, dating and stuff, which is just, like, that's exactly how we were. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's, like, universally true forever and always. Yeah. For 14-year-olds. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And then also just, like, generally, I know there's a bunch of, like, 80s, 90s movie shows that mm-hmm. have this same trope. Like, she's all that. Great example. Never been kissed. Another great example where you have, like, the big makeover scene where they like take their hair down take off their glasses and everyone's like oh my god what what happened who's that girl (laughs) cinderella story another great oh my god hillary duff (laughs) well she takes her hair down because it's always in a baseball cap and a ponytail so true and it's like no one recognizes her like oh my god please (laughs) give me a break everyone recognize her there's only like three blonde girls in this school and everyone's like we have no idea (laughs) the short one no i don't know couldn't be the one that's five foot one because hillary duff's height was so easily you could tie that out she was diner girl like you can pretend that you didn't notice diner girl but like she was still recognized the voice you talk to her when you go to the diner (laughs) It's so funny. Kills me. Uh, yeah, so lots of pop culture references. Very popular YA trope. Love it. Well, is yeah. that the only one for Chapter 21? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Cardin, like, when we get, when Jude comes back to him and he's, like, guzzling wine again and then he knows that he probably shouldn't be, but he keeps trying to pour some more. <laughs> he reminded me of Hamish from The Hunker Games. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> oh man. Because Katniss kept trying to stop him. She'd like throw knives at him, like try to stab his hands, and he would just move right around it and keep pouring. That is a funny parallel to draw. <laughs> like, oh god, as soon as someone turns away, guzzle. That's both of those characters. Um, so funny. And then, I mean, I, this is a pretty obvious one, but, like, we actually haven't had a lot of examples in this book series yet about fairies deliberately spinning the truth to achieve a particular story or outcome. Mm-hmm. Like, fairy version of lying. And so this was the first time we really had that with Cardin spinning up this little story. And it reminded me a lot of Melchior from the Seelies and Mortal Instruments. <laughs> oh my god. Just, you know, that's normal fairy stuff, but it just came to mind because it was the first time we've seen something like that. And Melchior did that to Isabella, Isabella a lot. So, pretty appreciated it plus there's all the extra flirting added in so it seems right (laughs) and then jude in general she's just like a little beast like Arya from game (laughs) of thrones like just as violent and wild doesn't want to deal with her trauma just kind of goes from one thing to the next and keeps pushing through getting more violent and more wild with every situation Arya is a little bit more redeemable to me than Jude is right now, but yeah. Well, Arya, like, she, she kills people, right? But not in, like, I don't know. It's just, there's somehow, somehow she has this way of, like, doing things that you can justify versus Jude is just, like, 
absolutely losing her mind right now. I mean, like, Valyrian is a justifiable kill, but, like, otherwise, like, she's, like, threatening Cardin and stuff. It's just so funny. It is, but, I mean, like, Arya had her list, right? Like, she would always have the people on her list, even if the people didn't directly harm her. If they harmed someone in the vicinity of her, or, like, her family or something, they went onto the list. And she would stop at nothing until that list was crossed off Done. she yeah with the exception of the hound a little bit she was not very flexible with whether or not someone on that list died even if they had had a redeeming moment and so like in that way like the the seeking of vengeance this like need for vengeance that's like driving her reminds me a lot of jude they handle it in very different ways and Arya's generally is a lot more justifiable because Jude did not have nearly as many bad things happen to her as Arya did. Um, But the characterization just feels very similar in a lot of ways. Though I like Arya better. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Arya also has a really good, like, character arc. She She always gets Jude going, like, straight to the top. (laughs) Straight to the villain arc. It's not even, like, straight to the bottom. She's just, like, yeah. It's wild. Okay. That's all I have for chapter 21. What do you have for chapter 22? Um, I had... I think I had one. Um, it, the whole poisoning sequence reminded me of Wicked. I've never read the book, but, like, the mm. musical itself, mm-hmm. where um, the mother of um, Elphaba is seeing this man, and she's drinking, you know, not poison, but this elixir, which is green. Have another and then the drink, baby my fair beauty. Yes, but <laughs> it's you know this wife who's technically supposed to be with someone else, mm-hmm. um, having an affair and then having a baby, and the baby is turns out to be this unique person. Obviously, the uniqueness is a little bit different in this case, but. Um, I don't I know. Like it just reminds me so much of that. That's so good. No, that's really good. I mean, <laughs> thankfully Oak doesn't come out green. <laughs> Although, have we learned went, about Oak's special feature? Did we we learn learned about nothing that? about Oak. Okay. Um, I don't think so. What's a special feature? I mean, I think we learn about it, but I don't... I, I can't... I can't Google gonna, it, so just yeah. tell me. I don't I'll know. tell you if we've learned about it. I just don't remember off the top of my head. I feel like we did, but I'm not entirely sure, and I don't remember what it was. It wasn't anything like a tale. Well, I know, but I'm saying I don't think it'll be a... You, you don't remember what it was. No, I don't. Okay. I would I don't say, think though, it was, a, like, a big feature. If he turned out green, people would then believe he is Maddox's son. Just saying. Mm. Right? Because Maddox's green. Yeah. True. So, it might have worked out in his favor, actually. Oh, okay, he does. I think we did learn about this. He has little horns that grow out of the top of his head. Oh, yeah. I feel like we did. I think we did learn about that. That's why I was like, but it's not like, it's not like a tail. You're not going to be like, oh, yeah. His tail that's whipping around. Right. I can't, I cannot get over the tail. (laughs) I really cannot. (laughs) I do, I like the Wicked reference, though. I think that that's very fitting. Even though, again, we still technically didn't learn that that's the whole situation here. It's a, it's a good, good reference for what the situation is. Mm-hmm. 
Anything else? Oh, yeah. This just came to me. Um, talking about animals, the, what is it? The Studio Ghibli film, The Cat Returns. Have you ever seen that? No. The main character in there is a cat. <laughs> and he's like a really good looking cat. <laughs> it's so weird. You have to watch it sometime. And okay. it's the fact that they make, like, they clearly make this cat out to be charming and handsome. Mm-hmm. And he has a full-on cat. Everybody, that's just, like, Corden with his tail. Like, <laughs> it's just weird. What is this obsession with cats? I don't understand. Anyway. Okay. Um, I think that's all I had. Okay. So, in a much worse way. Because Cardin and Jude are much worse than these two. But just, like, general vibes I was getting um, for Cardin and Jude at the beginning of the chapter when, like, they're going through the passageways together and, like, getting to the thing and she has to tie him up and all this stuff. I was getting very slight Nina and Matias vibes. (laughs) Where she's this, like, actual cool spy soldier, like, looking for all of this stuff. And he's just like, I don't know what's going on. What's going on? What's happening? You're pretty. <laughs> but I don't like you. But you're pretty. <laughs> and then he's, like, concerned about her, but doesn't really like that he's concerned about her. Like, yeah, just, like, general vibes. That's actually a pretty good pretty good comparison. Because they that are also funny. enemies to lovers, but on a much, yes. like, smaller scale than this. <laughs> yes, not quite as violent. Although, what it didn't... I mean, you could say that they left each other for dead. I mean, Nina left him for dead, but I don't know. He never left her for dead, not once. No, he he got robbed. His his revenge was justified. Oh, and then they and then they fell in love again. <laughs> again, <laughs> take two. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, Cardin's. Again, Cardin's use of alcohol as a coping mechanism reminds me of many teen dramas. The one that came mm. to mind the most, not necessarily just alcohol, because I think he also slips into a heroin addiction, but Justin from 13 Reasons Why. I don't know if you watched that show no. or read the book. Don't. It's way yeah. too dark. <laughs> we don't need that kind of negativity in our lives. But basically... This boy, Justin, his girlfriend got raped by one of his friends, and it happened kind of, like, on his watch at a party, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, not intentionally, but, like, he c- should have done something to stop it, and that haunts him for all of these times moving forward. And so he turns to alcohol and eventually slips into heroin as, like, a coping mechanism to deal with the trauma that's kind of, like, self-inflicted. And it's not, like, a perfect situation and like comparison to what Cardin's going through um because his trauma isn't necessarily self-inflicted but the Mm -hmm. turning to a substance to numb everything and like not actually finding ways to get yourself out of this bad situation um like therapy is is very reminiscent for me so Mm. uh also like Cardin's tale and just like it kind of like flitting around doing things on its own. I swear I've read so many things about cats and, like, cat people where, like, that's the case. Um, but I was just getting really strong Nightcrawler vibes from the X-Men. Okay. 
I don't know why. I've never seen that either. So. Oh my god. He's X-Men, or Nightcrawler is my favorite X-Men by far, but okay. he's this like beastie looking thing that has like a devil's tail that has like a pointed fork at the end sort of but it's like a long tail and it's um Mm. tactile so it can like grip things and he can swing like a monkey uh but his tail also has like a personality and so you see that sometimes in in the movies and in the comics and he also has ears kind of like the fey like pointy ears even though his he's all blue so it's like not like cardin but vibes there were there were general vibes and nightcrawler's my favorite x-men so i was just thinking about him all the time uh and then this is probably a mean comparison of me but again i did not like her in this chapter jude's behavior like the level of joy she was getting out of specifically being responsible for Cardin's pain and agony reminded me of Kilgrave and jessica jones did you watch that? No, I'm just gonna keep either. making comic I'm like, book I references. Have, I cannot keep up with TV shows at all. That's fine. So, Kilgrave was basically this super villain in the Jessica Jones show. Um, mm-hmm. He has mind control and can like basically convince people to do things that they don't actually want to do. And he originally used that to get Jessica Jones to be in a relationship with him and then get her to go hurt people and she can like she's aware of all the things that she did but she can't stop herself from doing them Mm. um but he after they kind of like broke up and she got control of herself and like became resistant to his powers all he wanted to do was like get her under his control again and like watch her suffer and he got joy out of watching her suffer because of something he was doing to her. And, like, it ugh, did not make me feel good. Now, Jude is not nearly as sadistic as Kilgrave is. But I was getting, like, I was talking about getting the vibes of, like, those creepy male villains that like to lord their power over their victims. And, like, I didn't like it. Mm. So, yeah. And then my last one. It's barely a pop culture reference, but I was listening to Hey Jude today after I was reading, just like coincidentally, and I was thinking about the lyrics to Hey Jude, you know, by the Beatles, and mm-hmm. I think everything would be solved if Jude just like listened to the song and like took it, <laughs> it as a personal, <laughs> it wouldn't. So like here, I pulled some of the lyrics, Hey Jude, don't make it bad, take a sad song and make it better. Remember, and I'm going to replace her with him, you know, so we can have card and vibes. Remember to let him into your heart. Then you can start to make it better. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to go out and get him. The minute you let him under your skin, then you begin to make it better. And anytime you feel the pain, hey, Jude, refrain. Don't carry the world upon your shoulders. For well, you know that it's a fool who plays it cool. By making her world a little colder. Hey Jude, don't let me down. You have found him. Now go and get him. Remember to let him into your heart. Then you can start to make it better. Beautiful. She should listen to that. She should. And all of our problems would honestly be solved. Yeah. Because <laughs> then her and Cardo would be working together. She'd get it. I just thought of another one. Two. Okay. 
Great. Um, before we end this section, mm-hmm. uh, you haven't read this. I've been telling you to read it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do a little spoiler here. Okay. Because you might not ever read it. <laughs> In Shatter Me, the Shatter Me series. I knew you were going to say Shatter Me. I know. <laughs> we have, this is a big spoiler, so anyone who hasn't read Shatter Me, they don't listen to me right now. This is literally like giving away the entire series. <laughs> Great, Julia. Um, thank you. Like, it's like the biggest <laughs> plot point. <laughs> Warner is this high-ranking guy, much like Cardin, um, who, I mean, like, not not like Cardin in that he, like, takes the protagonist for himself at the very start of the book. Mm-hmm. So he, Warner basically, like, scoops up Juliet from this prison. Juliet has a special ability, um, and Juliet and Warner do not get along, like, Juliet sees herself as a prisoner, Warner sees her as a weapon, and then eventually realizes, like, oh, he actually sees her as a romantic interest. Mm. Um, and it is extreme enemies to lovers, <laughs> like, extreme. And it reminded me just so much of Cardin in this for that second, because it's both of these, like, idiot boys who have way too much power, who are realizing, like, oh, this person that should be really like not in my league for Mm -hmm. a number of reasons is actually somebody that I'm into but I don't know how to explain to them because they just see me as cruel (laughs) so well and it's so interesting that you say because like I mean I've said this I going back now and like thinking on everything that's happened in like the first 10 12 chapters I can't see Cardin in a way that's not in love with Jude like, I can't see it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, nope, he has an ulterior motive with this crappy comment that he's saying. Yeah. And I need to get that out of my head because that's not a healthy thing. He doesn't know how something. to express it. Right. Yeah. It's just a boy being mean on the playground and a girl that he has a crush on. Yep. Oh, God. Boys are so juvenile in any species. <laughs> So true. I that I'm assuming that's a very good reference. Having not read Shatter Me, I cannot opine, but I will do my best to throw this out of my head as soon as possible, so I can eventually read it and it's, not be spoiled. It's an adventure. You are gonna get led on five different paths, and then be like, you're gonna get whiplash. I mean, yeah. that's how I felt anyway. after reading the selection books. So oh much no, whiplash. This is worse. This oh is no. Worse. It's like. <laughs> oh my god. I still have one more selection book to go, and I am dragging my feet on starting it. It's killing me. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Concludes our pop culture. How would you rate these chapters, Julia? As a wine or alcohol? As a wine. It is like a Piedmont Nebbiolo. Whoa. Well, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh, this is... Hold on. So it's a 7 out of 10 Piedmont... Well, 7.5 out of 10 Piedmont Nebbiolo. It is one of my favorite wines because mm-hmm. it offers a lot of descriptions. Like, you can take a lot from the wine. There's a whole lot going on. Minerals, fruits. But it's not overpowering. Yet, unless you leave it out to breathe for a while. And once you let it breathe for a minute, it can be very, very pow- overpowering. Mm. 
And it just reminded me so much of Jude in the way that, like, she's finally given the room to breathe and she is taking that power. And there's a whole lot of information that we're getting from these chapters, just like the Piedmont Nebbiola gives you. But I'm doxing two and a half points because I'm just so annoyed with Jude. Because it's, it's like, fair. It's, it's not, it's not a good overpowering. It's not the kind of, like, wine that makes you want to, like, keep drinking it. It's kind of like, oh my god, like, I don't know what I signed up for. Right. No, that's fair. Yeah. That's good. She deserves to be docked points. I 100% agree with that. I think on my end for the wine, whining corner, I, I'm also gonna go same ballpark, 7 out of 10. And... Any whining that Cardin does, which is very minimal, honestly, like, he's trying his best to just, like, power through the situation, uh, is completely justified. Like, any angst that we get out of Cardin, completely justified, makes sense. His entire family has just been murdered. The girl he loves keeps rejecting him. Like, I feel for the dude. But Jude's, like, constantly questioning every word that comes out of his mouth and, like, what it could mean and, like, why he's acting that way and why he deigns to speak or have a feeling. Too much. Like, she's projecting. She's all up in her feelings and doesn't know how to process it. And it's so infuriating. And so we're giving it a a relatively high score this week just because of her behavior. Like, she is all seven of those points. Yeah. Jesus. (laughs) The only reason it's not higher is because Cardin was calm and chill the entire two chapters. (laughs) Which is sad. It's a role reversal. Um, it it really is. Scale. It really is. She's normally so like calm, cool, and collected, and now she's just out there being a little terrorist. But that is uh, that is Jude. All right. Well, oh, we skipped MVPs. Crap. Also, I think I said doxing instead of docking. You did. So, like, we're both a mess tonight. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, I'm literally like I need to go to bed (laughs) I feel that Um, okay MVPs who is your MVP for the chapter my MVP is going to go to oh my god I don't know I like hate all of them right now I guess (gasps) I'm gonna give it give it to Cardin again I'm doing this twice in a row but like it's the you statement that did it for me I, I don't know. That's all I'm going to say. I agree. It's very, very sweet. I, well, it's definitely not Jude from me. <laughs> definitely not even close. Um, I know he's not even in this these chapters, but I'm going to give it to Oak. Because, like, poor boy's going to have a lot on his plate yeah. pretty soon and like you know he just wanted to be carefree and his mom put he's a leash a on kid. him yeah he's just a kid and he's being leashed and he's probably going to be sacrificed to some greater good and i don't want to see it happen to him and he's a sweetheart and we don't recognize how much of a sweetheart he is you know yeah because he's so. just a wild rambunctious kid that's how we all were exactly so yeah i'm gonna give it to oak so I, like I wholeheartedly support your choice of Cardin, because Cardin would have been my first choice, probably. So I know. I took that before you could. Sorry. Next That's time okay. it's your turn to go first. We, we alternate. That's what we do. It's all good. 
Cardin might beat out Maddox if we keep going at this pace. Oh my god, Cardin. Cardin. Jude has uh, maybe one vote. We do not Poor like Jude. Her. We do not. I mean, she will get better, but right now we do not like her. When? In book three? I know. She's got a she long has some ways pretty to go. good. She has some good moments later on, though. I will say that. I um, believe she does. Like, but she kind of feels to me like one of those characters that has good moments, and is not a good person. <laughs> yeah, but she goes through a period of um, introspection. Like, mm. she really like is forced to, not oh, because she wants to, but because she is forced to. Good. So. She needs that. She needs a lot of that. <laughs> Oh, much of that. Okay, I don't think we accidentally skipped any other sections, so we're good there. <laughs> <laughs> what a mess. Oh it's, my god. It's Sunday night. We have a long week ahead of us. It's, yeah. Yes. Oh, well. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Really appreciate you coming <laughs> with us on this wild ride where we had a lot of role reversals. And our protagonist is becoming a villain, so that's really fun. <laughs> Always love unraveling. Love when that happens in a book. Um, but if you don't follow us on social media, you should. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod, on Twitter at UnAngstPod, and you can also send us emails with thoughts about the book, thought of, thoughts about what books we should read next book recommendations for us based on what we seemingly like which hopefully you all have a good sense of by now or requesting book recommendations from us to you we're we're happy to talk about anything book related so feel free to email us at unnecessary at gmail.com and with that we will talk to you all next week hope you have a good one bye thank you